It was a blockade that caused billions of dollars worth of economic turmoil. Anti-vaxxers, anti-mandate activists, COVID deniers, or freedom fighters, whatever you want to call them, their seven-day blockade near the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor caused anger, frustration, and economic loss in the region. It could have ended up really bad, I think. And in some scenarios in some other cities, it has or it will. I consider us lucky. Listen to the 519 podcast presentation of the Windsor Blockade, Fight for Freedom or Misguided Mischief on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or at the 519podcast.com. We've all seen television shows, read internet articles, or even seen memes that explore the concept of hoarding. Having a whole lot of one particular item or many different types of items in a space that just quite frankly is not equipped for it. And in some cases, hoarding can be relatively harmless, even if it may be a sign of some sort of mental health issue. Having a stack of old newspapers in your living room that makes it hard to get around is difficult and not a great way to live, but it isn't going to necessarily hurt anybody. However, animal hoarding has become a concept that mental health professionals are exploring, and we've even seen some cases of it locally here in the 519. To analyze what animal hoarding is all about and show us some ways that we can avoid seeing it happen in the future, here's your host, Haley Chang. A recent story out of Norfolk County told of a woman who was charged with animal cruelty after investigators found 27 dogs, 5 cats, 3 horses, 2 donkeys, 1 pig, and a guinea pig in her home. The story was startling, and for some, likely conjured up images of a real-life Cruella de Vil. But when you take a closer look at stories like these, ones that involve what we often call animal hoarding, it's not hard to wonder how this can happen. Who in their right mind would fill their home with dozens of animals? Well, in many cases, the people are not in their right mind. This is Kara Kelly from the CMHA Thames Valley Addiction and Mental Health Services. Hoarding is a, di- a diagnosis now. It's hoarding disorder. It's found in the Diagnostic um, and Statistical Manual, number five. And hoarding basically is when somebody has just basically too much stuff. You know, the the house is just overfilled with things and um, things that we would look at and think, well, those are kind of useless or limited value, um, but their beliefs, these things are important and precious. Kind of so much stuff that it limits what they can actually do in their space. So maybe they have all their clothes on the floor and on the bed so they can't sleep in their bed. Why this is relevant is because based under the umbrella of hoarding is a smaller subset of the phenomenon, animal hoarding. The mentality stays the same within the two, but instead of objects, you have living things. The thoughts of not accumulating, the thoughts of discarding is extremely um, stress-provoking. And, and animal hoarding is very similar in that they collect animals instead of stuff. Often they collect stuff too, but and, and the people who hoard animals, they don't really mean any harm in their minds. They're actually rescuing these animals from either being on the streets or um, in shelters being waiting to be euthanized. So they're, you know, they, they don't mean to harm these animals at all. But again, it's just that they accumulate so much, so many pets that it just gets out of control and they, you know, end up causing harm as opposed to doing, doing good for them. If you have unlimited resources, you can have unlimited pets and still mm-hmm. care for them and have space for them. 
where some people maybe, you know, have very limited resources and have four or five pets, and that's still too overwhelming for them to care for because they can't really afford it, they don't really have this space. So it's basically, I think, when it comes to um, really not being able to give the, the care that the pets require, the space they need, the food they need, you know, the vet bills, all that sort of stuff is, I think, when it, when it comes a problem. According to Liz White, president of the Animal Alliance of Canada, despite any good intentions, hoarding pets can actually be harmful to the animals. You think about a facility in London. Um, somebody goes into a situation where they have to all of a sudden uh, house 27 dogs or 50 cats. First of all, there's a space issue. Secondly, there's a monetary issue in terms of the care for these animals. In many cases, they may require veterinary care. Most animal control facilities that I knew do, know do not have funds to provide much veterinary care for animals. You know, many of these animals might be well socialized but need require a lot of dental work, which is hugely expensive in terms of veterinary costs. And so it's a real challenge. Having this many animals in a home like this may seem like a dream to some, like they're hoarding the happiness that animals bring. But the problem lies in the hoarder's inability to clean up after themselves and the animals. And it gets to a point where it becomes not just harmful for the animals, but for the individual as well. Physically, there's like fire hazards, tripping hazards, there's, um, you know, cleanliness problems, bugs, uh, rodent infestations, feces, you know, there's all kinds of things that people don't get stuff repaired because there's no pathway in to get to the, the furnace or... Mm -hmm you know, the, the plumbing or, you know, so the house really starts falling apart because they can't get things fixed. Um, things can't get cleaned. Things can't get done. They, you know, so if it gets really bad, obviously they can't use their washroom. So, I mean, people are having to use other facilities or other ways of, of trying to, uh, you know, have their daily life kind of normal. <laughs> so, yeah, and they're isolated, you know, people stop coming to see them, people look at them, they, they, there's such a stigma attached to it, so they really start to um, not see people anymore, not see friends, not see family, you know, especially if people don't understand it, so they're, mm -hmm. they get a lot of negative comments, like, why don't you just clean up, or why don't, you know, why are you being so stubborn, or why are you being so lazy, when really it's such a, a big complex situation a disorder that it's it's more than just kind of saying yeah you're right i just need to clean up it could impact your mental health physical health your social life your yeah. financial i mean you can't find things right so you're going out buying duplicate things so mm -hmm. it just can impact a person on, on all levels the mess of animal excrement and garbage can take a toll on the immune systems of everyone in the house in some cases the home can become a toxic unbreathable wasteland to better understand how this happens, Kara explains why it's important to take a look at the hoarders themselves. I facilitate a hoarding support group. It's actually clearing clutter. So we have anybody from chronic disorganization up to hoarders. And yeah, um, I would say most of them have had some sort of trauma, some sort of loss in their life, um, mm -hmm. any some sort of mental illness, like a depression, anxiety, OCD seems to be a, a pretty big part of it as well, but definitely the loss and the trauma that uh, most people can kind of pinpoint. Um, but then there's also familiar um, family <laughs> situations too. People maybe grew up in a hoarding situation. So that's, that's their life experience. That's kind of what they 
grew up with that's normal to them. So there's a lot of different reasons, but mental health is definitely a big one there. They're judging themselves harder than anybody could judge them. It sometimes doesn't look this way because it's their stuff and they're stubborn and they don't want to get rid of it, but they know you know, that this is a problem and and they don't get it either until they start getting help and understanding what's going on and what's happening behind the the hoarding. Um, So they're judging themselves. And and if they've got their friends and family kind of doing the same sort of thing, then yeah, they're going to isolate further, become more depressed, more anxious. Um, So it'll just continue to spiral. Like anything, self-awareness is key in catching the beginnings of hoarding behavior. And it's the first step in getting the required help so that things don't evolve into a 50-animal household. There are usually two elements that people struggle with that eventually lead to hoarding behavior. One is acquiring too many items, and the second is the inability to throw anything away. At CMHA, they tackle these two elements to help those struggling with hoarding. We teach people that you're at the checkout at the cash register and you see all these things and you just automatically pick them up and, you know, where we're now getting them to ask questions, you know, slow down, look at this item. Do I need it? Do I have it? How many of these do I have? How many do I need? You know, so you can start making a better decision on what to bring in. So, and yeah, people are able to kind of get control over that a lot sooner than the actual starting to get discarding things. Most people experiences the, the emotion first, right? They have this, oh, I'm feeling anxious or this gut punch or I'm, I'm scared or, or I'm worried. They just go right to doing the opposite behavior. So what the trick is, is to find out what the thought is behind that emotion. Because mm-hmm. usually it's often um, an irrational thought. Like if I don't bring this home now, I will regret this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So they bring it home. So we got to kind of you know, start figuring out, okay, there's, there's the emotion or the thought first, whatever that thought is, maybe it's your um, great aunt's tea set that you have in boxes you don't like, you don't even use, but you're looking at it and you're, you suddenly feel really anxious. So you pack it back up and you put it away. Whereas we kind of try to get, okay, so what were you thinking? And often the thought would be something like, oh, if I got rid of this, you know, my aunt would be so offended, even though maybe the aunt's passed. So they're kind of thoughts that, you know, maybe really can be challenged. So that's the whole, the idea behind challenging that thought, well, my aunt's passed away. And if she knew it was interfering with my hoarding situation, she'd be more than happy, you know, so we get them to Mm -hmm. kind of change what that thought is, so that they can change the behavior, instead of like, just automatically feeling something and doing something, challenge, what is the thought behind that feeling? Is it rational? Can you switch it to be something else so that you can change the behavior? It's not exactly a quick fix to hoarding, but it is a helpful guidance to combat the problem in its early stages. In reality, healing is a long journey that requires continuous work. The majority of the people who continue on with the aftercare have a a better success than the the people with no aftercare. They ended up, you know, pretty much 99% hoarding again. So it, it is all about processing what's going on, what are the thoughts, what are the feelings, the the initial loss that they had that maybe, you know, led up to this. Those people who really are ready to make the change on their own, they're the ones that have success and they actually come and they stay and they, they, you know, they learn different skills on how to, to cope with that stress and anxiety. It's encouraging to see that those struggling with hoarding can heal and move on from it. But what happens to the animals in these situations? It's an extremely sensitive situation to approach. Hoarders don't intend to hurt the animals they keep or themselves. Sometimes they think they're doing the opposite. It's almost as if they're literally harming their pets with love. 
They do love their pets, and that makes the situation much harder to approach. Because in the end, most of these animals are going to have to go. Where we need help is that in places where these people live, if other people know that this is happening, that they feel comfortable reaching out to a bylaw officer or an animal control person to come and deal with the situation before it gets out of hand. I'm sure in many cases where people have multiple animals in you know, complex living conditions like apartments and, and homes and so, that sort of thing, that, that many people know that it's going on but don't know where to report it, don't know who to report it to, or are worried if they do report it, the animals are going to end up being euthanized. And so people are kind of reluctant to do it, but it would be much better if we could provide a sense of security to people that, you know, the entity that is going in to deal with this particular situation understands that the person in question needs help and that the animals in question need help and that uh, it'll be done as best as one can possibly do under the circumstances. But, you know, the fact is that municipalities have to be responsible for the animals that they take in. And most municipal, you know, most animal services in most municipalities in Ontario are significantly underfunded, understaffed, and undereducated into how to deal with these kinds of situations. And so, you know, a lot of the time animals get hauled out of these places and euthanized. And that doesn't need to happen in many situations. It isn't that you can save every animal, but you could probably save a good number of the animals uh, that are taken out of these places by virtue of spending a little bit of money on them and, and getting them to be socialized and fixing up their medical bills. The good news is that things aren't always doom and gloom for the pets. Euthanization is the worst case scenario, and often it doesn't get to that point. These animals can be rehabilitated and healed, ready for their forever homes. I think people who are in this business understand that many of the dogs are pretty resilient, are pretty forgiving um, in, in situations where they may not have received the exact type of treatment that they should have and been loved in the way that most of us would like to see our pets loved. And so um, I think... Uh, with a little bit of work, and it can't really happen in a shelter like a normal dog and cat shelter. It's just too stressful for most animals. So I think with a little bit of work and a little bit of forethought and, and a buildup of good foster families, uh, that many of, many of these animals might very well be saved. My experience with people who hoard animals, and I think the broader experience of people who actually go in and uh, have to deal with the situations like animal control officers and bylaw officers is that often people care deeply about these animals and are traumatized when somebody comes in and just simply removes them all from the particular location. Um, and so I think there's a really interesting person, animal control officer in the city of Toronto, who's really good with dealing with these situations, recognizing that these are people who have challenges, uh, who have needs, and uh, has a real ability to talk to these people and make them feel comfortable about giving up some or all of their animals. And then if they do get animals back, having those 
people visit from time to time to um, make sure that the animals are properly cared for. When approaching cases like these, it's important to consider all the details. The situation requires a massive amount of delicacy to be handled properly. Pets have become the extension of the family. They are the sons and daughters to some people, and the immediate removal of them can cause further trauma to both the owner and the pet. And so there are certain things to keep in mind when helping a loved one deal with hoarding. I think the most important thing for loved ones is to, um, to maybe learn a bit about the disorder themselves so that they understand that they're not being willful or lazy. Um, the biggest mistake that friends and family can do is go in and just remove stuff. The person who has the disorder really has to be a part of the conversation, part of the decision, like everything. It has to be their decision or again, it'll just feel like another loss and they'll accumulate more. It's very um, difficult and stressful because, you know, we have to sit there and have them look at this plastic bag and not go, I can't you throw that out? But maybe ask them about the bag, you know, have that conversation without judgment and without stigmatizing or else, you know, the walls is going to build up and, you know, they'll stop asking for help or talking to you about it. So maybe trying to help people figure out what's behind it. Like, is there some sort of trauma? Is there some sort of loss? Um, is there some sort of mental health concern like is OCD or depression? And, and maybe getting help before it gets to that point, like being able to kind of deal with loss and trauma before you deal with it by hoarding stuff. Mm -hmm. um, therapy, I would just like, you know, tell people not to be afraid of getting therapy because mm -hmm. it's so important. You know, we deal with things the best we can. And, and, you know, for these people that are doing this, this is how they've learned how to deal with their, their loss, their stress and their anxiety. In the Norfolk case and many others, it is easy to paint a picture of the hoarder as a villain, intentionally collecting and abusing animals. However, these stories are more complex and require a lot more consideration than taking them at face value. These, these people who are hoarding animals, hoarding items, they're hurting and they're just trying to, you know, take care of themselves the best way they know at this time. They don't understand that, you know, especially the animal hoarding, that this is really not good for the animals and and I guess just being patient and understanding and um, of course if it's animals right I mean animal animal cruelty if you know somebody is being cruel to animals it, it, you know it's just like children you have to report that but mm -hmm. just kind of approach it with a little bit more understanding and compassion and uh, knowing that it is a disorder it's not somebody just overnight decided they want to collect animals or you know collect garbage <laughs> Yeah. Whatever the case may be, it's, it's a very long, complicated process. And I mean, there is recovery, right? So people can recover from this um, with, with yeah, support and love. This episode of the 519 Podcast was written by Patrick Magermans and Haley Chang, hosted by Haley Chang and produced by Craig Needles. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.